Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the pilot episode of the Synchronicity Podcast. I'm Destin, and I'm joined here today with my co-host, Kobe. Hello. Uh, this is a, a new endeavor for the two of us. We've never done a podcast before. Uh, we've never done any kind of content creation on the internet, period. Uh, but we both have discovered in recent years that we love movies and we want to talk about them. And so we came up with this idea of the Synchronicity Podcast to be a place, a, a platform for discussion about the movies and TV shows and culture and art that we find truly interesting. Kobe, how's it going? Uh, I'm, I'm doing quite fine. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you're welcome. You're my, you're my co-host. I got to look out for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how are you doing lately? I am doing fantastic. I mean, as fantastic as I possibly can in this wonderful climate of 2020 that we live in. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a good time to get interested in the movies, but with the whole world being shut down. so I'd have to agree. I mean, there's not a lot of really interesting things coming out right now, but it's, yeah. it's like it's like the perfect time to discover many very interesting and poignant films. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we got uh, we got the Snyder Cut to look forward to, right? The Snyder Cut and the entire WB library on uh, HBO. That's <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to watch all of that. Yeah, I mean, HBO Max is really justifying its price with all these <laughs> Warner Brothers releases, you know? Yeah, because we here love Zack Snyder. Well, and in fact, I mean, I, we haven't discussed this. We didn't discuss this before the show, but I think we're going to have to watch Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, I just think it's it's demanded of us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As movie fans, you know. It's... Yeah, as movie fans. I mean, you know, the the original Wonder Woman was just a, a critical darling you know like a, a true work of art really like auteur auteur cinema is the is the perfect word for it i think i would say it's beyond auteur cinema i'd say it falls into this territory of complete avant-garde cinema oh yes absolutely yeah and and done by a woman no less mm -hmm. yeah we, we need more of that that's 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 just aside from the rest of this joke that that is true it is true. It is true. But, but you know, let's ignore the fact that Greta Gerwig is a fantastic director. Oh, and yes, instead absolutely. say that we need more female uh, superhero movie directors. We that's, need more, that's what we need. Yeah, we need more Wonder Woman. Not... We need more Wonder Woman in our lives. <laughs> Captain Marvel, you know. I, I want to be, be shouted at by Brie Larson. I want her to tell me how horrible I am for being a, uh, a white male interested in movies. Well, hey man, I can do that for you if you'd like. I'd... Are you saying you can be my Brie Larson? I can be your Brie Larson if you want me to. Okay, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so, Kobe. Right. Anyway, what 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 have you watched recently? Let's let's start with you. Uh well, if we're talking purely by myself, um, I watched something two nights ago, Naked, by uh, Mike Lee. And uh, this was something I was looking forward to for a long time because uh, I love David Thewlis, of course. I think he's, I think he's a really fantastic, I'd say underutilized actor because he's in quite a bit. But I think um, 
maybe not the roles I would love him to be in. But yeah, Naked was like his his breakout role, and he's absolutely fantastic in it. I, I don't know. I, I just really love the movie. Yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't heard about uh, Naked before you watched it, but your review was interesting enough that I want to check it out now. I've added it to my watch list. Uh, I, too, have enjoyed David Thewlis and everything I've seen him in. Recently, within the past two months, the two of us watched uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, in which he mm. was also very fantastic. Yes. I think we're both pretty big fans of Charlie Kaufman, for the most part, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm Thinking of Ending Things was quite quite the surprise, honestly. Even though I knew going in that I was likely to like it, it's the first Charlie Kaufman movie. Well, I mean, I guess you can count adaptation, but it's the first Charlie Kaufman movie where he's uh, adapting something that isn't coming almost entirely from his own head. Mm-hmm. That was that was probably my most exciting like new movie release that I've seen in a long time because like last year when The Lighthouse came out and Parasite and all that other sort of stuff. Um, I wasn't necessarily into film yet. So it's like, I didn't get excited at the thought of them releasing, but more so when you like recommended them to me, but I'm thinking of anything. was like the first movie that came out during the point of me being interested in film. Right. And yeah, I think that, I think that paid out quite a bit, super hard to understand, but I, I do like to think when I'm watching film. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, most of Charlie Kaufman's films uh, are in that territory of super reality or, you know, that kind of lateral headspace of maybe being something that you don't immediately understand, or maybe rather you understand it on a uh, subliminal level. Mm-hmm. Um, his movies are very human, and I'm thinking of ending things is really no different. Uh, I read the book uh, after we watched the movie, and uh, the book is a lot more straightforward, I guess I would say. It's a lot more... It, it, it definitely leaves some elements to the imagination, but it's a lot more concrete with the direction that it's heading. And in fact, any misconceptions or misunderstandings that you might have about the movie are very easily explained by reading the book. I would also imagine that rewatching the movie would reveal some of those uh, deeper elements. Yeah, I think um, I think all of Charlie Kaufman's movies that I've seen have been something that I think a rewatch would certainly add a lot to my experience. I haven't rewatched anything that I've seen so far, um, but I think especially in like Synecdoche's case. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of many things or I don't know, even, even like being John Malkovich is something, I feel like there's a lot to be gained a second time around because, um, like all of those movies, my first time I was sort of lost in what he was trying to do. And I think a second, a second watch kind of allows you to just be comfortable and, and take in all the other stuff that you were sort of ignoring or maybe didn't notice the first time. Well, they're very surreal mm-hmm. and they're very heady. I think David Lynch's movies are, are kind of like that too. Mm-hmm. There are movies where I don't know that they really should be defined. Uh, I think that they 
are open to interpretation and they're open to thought and individual perception in a really wonderful way. I like that both David Lynch and Charlie Kaufman as creators don't try to give their audience all of the answers and instead let their audience come to their own conclusions about what's happening. In in many ways, I think that the movie, I mean, obviously I'm a bit biased towards Charlie Kaufman, is better than the source material of I'm Thinking of Ending Things because it is more layered and it leaves more to the imagination. It leaves more room for interpretation, further interpretation. It's less less of a concrete conclusion. Right. Let's just put it that way. I mean, the, the end goal, the end understanding is the same, but it reaches that point in a more uh, varied and interesting way. Right. Yeah. Um, I think there's obviously, there's a certain mindset people have going into like adaptations uh, or like, uh, uh, you know, there's like that saying, uh, the book is always better than the movie, whatever. But I think it's valuable when a filmmaker tries to mess around with the source material and doesn't just make like a, a flat adaptation because if it's a flat adaptation and you already know, you know, what you read, you're just going to go in expecting that. And with Charlie Kaufman, obviously if he, he changes it up, he makes it like even more uncomfortable, even more sort of deep diving. It'll become, I think a lot more interesting to watch because you don't know what to expect anymore. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that when directors and screenwriters are adapting these books or other such source materials, I think it's important that they don't just create a, a Xerox in essence, but instead create something that's transformative, right. something that uh, moves the needle on that original idea that was present in that book. I mean, obviously I don't expect anyone to, any creative to be transformative with like some YA uh, run of the mill popular story. But when you have something that is already interesting and uh, on the deeper end of the scale and maybe a little bit more fringe, like I'm thinking of ending things, I think that it, it works much more in that realm if the director transforms it into something beyond what it was or different. Right. Um, I don't, I don't mean to like uh, divert, but I, that kind of reminds me of um, Jojo rabbit. I know you haven't seen it, but the, um, the original like book that it's based on, it's very loosely based on the, the book is like incredibly depressing and sort of uh, you, you don't really like the main character at all. Things are, incredibly dark but you see the movie and it's like this light-hearted uh anti-hate satire is what uh, taika described it as and i think like that sort of transformation is is like super interesting to see because obviously he, he it was it's very loose like he took he took a very loose interpretation of that uh novel but uh, now you have two entirely separate um, like forms of essentially the same story. And I really like that. Mm -hmm. So what else have you seen recently? 
Let's keep going with you. Well, I saw saw Namalisa. Speaking of Charlie Kaufman. Yep, I saw that. Yeah. Um, not my favorite of his work, but like I I, I can still see some some value in it. I think because it's um, well, it's hard to explain how I feel about it. I think the the compactness of it like there's you have uh really three actors of course you have david thewlis as the main character and you have um uh jennifer jason lee as lisa and then you have tom noonan as everyone else and i really like that idea because it's like it sort of takes away a lot of comfort you might have with like an animation because all of a sudden everyone sounds the same everyone looks the same and you get in the place of the main character who sees everyone as as the same person and he doesn't really get any happiness out of life because there's no one for him to really connect to since everyone feels the same but i don't know it i guess it just wasn't like as easy to connect with as something like synecdoche um or i'm thinking of any things uh Perhaps it's related to where I was like emotionally at those points in time, but I don't know. I I guess I didn't I didn't like this one as much as the others. I think that makes sense to a certain extent. I obviously liked Anomalisa more than you did. It's mm-hmm. it's also not my favorite Kaufman work. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm just a huge fan of Synecdoche, and it's 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 not as it's not as interesting to me as Synecdoche. But I, I, I do think that it, it, it is really powerful in its message. And I think that the animation worked really well for it. I, I, I liked this, you know, like hyper surreal reality uh, mm-hmm. that was set up. And then using these puppets, these, you know, marionettes, these claymation dolls that were so lifelike and detailed. Mm-hmm. But you know, just that that hair before the uncanny valley of of not really crossing into that territory of the real. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the main character, you know, I mean, his world and his worldview, his reality is entirely wrought upon himself, not unlike Caden Cotard. They're both uh, characters that are very much stuck inside their heads, stuck in a existence that seems meaningless, seems difficult, seems hopeless. But our, our main character in Anomalies is obviously much more of a, a narcissist. And, you know, this is why you, you will see as, like, the, the movie progresses, well, it, it's this self-pity party, but the more you, you see and the more that he interacts with these other characters, the more you realize that, well, he's just you know, treating these characters this way because he, he perceives them as not being interesting, but that's not really their fault. That's his fault for being so narcissistic and in his own headspace to think this. I mean, this is why, you know, he meets the, the, the Lisa, the Anomalisa that the movie is named after. And she's a, a breath of fresh air. She's different. She's, like a string of red fate uh, pulling him 
or so he thinks, out of this reality that he's wrought for himself. But lo and behold, the more that he learns about her, the more that he learns that she isn't really interesting, that she's just another person. Well, then her face, too, starts to fall into the obscurity of the others. And so I think it's, I think Anomalisa is a more, it's not, it's definitely not the most challenging Charlie Kaufman movie. I I think that uh, at least on the surface level, it's, it's fairly easy to understand what he was going for. But I, I, I do think that it's maybe not his most inviting film. I think it requires um, maybe being at a certain age, having a little more life experience, even more than I have. Mm-hmm. I think that viewing through the Oculus of some older and wizened years, it, it, it takes on a different color. Mm. I think like the way you say that, it, it reminds me... Um... So I guess Anomalisa takes on more of a middle-aged feel, I guess, in that... I think so. Yeah, um, and it's like uh, that midlife crisis. It's like that midlife era that yeah. we all reach eventually. That are, you're, you're leaving your youth behind, and you're hurtling towards your twilight years. And I mean, I think that anyone probably would feel like they're more of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that reminds me a lot of, um, I saw Tokyo story pretty recently too, which is a lot more focused on like, uh, you know, your latest years. Like, uh, when you're elderly, you have grandkids, you have, uh, whatever. And it's like, uh, you're at that point in your life where you've, finished all that you've wanted to do but you kind of just want to be happy for the rest of as long as you're living you want to see your grandkids and you want to spend time with them and you want to sort of just yeah just be with the things that make you happy and um obviously tokyo story is sort of it's it's a little depressing maybe maybe not as much as like anomalisa because anomalisa is uh like you said sort of a self-pity party obviously there's there's a lot more to that but um you know tokyo story takes on i'd say a more optimistic look while still remaining pretty depressing because it's like i have all these kids but they don't even want to see me so it's sort of um it's a very reflective movie i think and uh, anomaly is not too different in that way I, and I mean, I, I think the general catalog of Charlie Kaufman is reflective. I, I don't, I, I never really see, even though you might be able to get that read from them, that his movies are in any way nihilistic. Mm-hmm. I, I, in my book, they are hopeful. They are warnings. They are reflections on humanity and these pitfalls that humanity. Uh, walks into frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that for most people, you watch a Charlie Kaufman movie, and it, re- it really should be something of a wake-up call mm-hmm. for you. I mean, when you really think about it, Synecdoche's about... Um, it's about life as a whole, but it's also about creative... Uh, uh, like, the creative spirit and 
the desire to leave a legacy. It's about the fear of death. It's about the fear of growing old. It's it's about every aspect of life. I, I mean, Synecdoche is like Charlie Kaufman's, you know, entire worldview, I think, wrapped into one single project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you really ever, any anyone who has not seen Synecdoche and you've seen other Charlie Kaufman movies, if you really want a explanation of how Charlie Kaufman uh, likely views the world. Synecdoche is probably the clearest picture, the the uh, brightest window into that kind of uh, reality that he's dreaming of. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I do. I think that they're all reflections. I think that they're you know. I think Charlie Kaufman is is someone who's dealt with a lot of anxiety and angst just around the basic act of being a human in his life and i think that they're reflections on what what kind of again pitfalls mm-hmm. we we fall into i've i've found recently that a lot of my favorite films are sort of um maybe nihilistic in nature but reflective as a whole like when you actually pay attention and i think a lot of these movies like you said are are like a wake up call and that uh, a lot of the time you're relating to these characters and you feel sort of connected to them. But like the more you think about it, the more you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't connect to these characters. Maybe I should try to put myself back on track because these characters are horrible people or these characters characters live horrible lives or whatever it may be. But they are human. Yeah, yeah. And of course, those are human emotions. So, you know. Yeah. So it's like, um, it's important to maybe understand how much you can relate to a character, uh, recognize that you're both human, or, I mean, maybe not in the literal sense with Anomalisa, but like, it's, I, I, I guess I have a hard time sort of pinning down exactly how I feel about a lot of Kaufman movies, because they're, I'd say they're mostly challenging, like, and they're, like you say reflective so it's it's hard it's hard to connect to them because you know you do but you don't really want to because i i don't want to be like caden cotard i don't want to be like uh michael in anomalisa i don't want to be i don't want to be like these characters but i sometimes am right yeah but that's like i say i mean and that's that's what charlie kaufman movies explore and expose Mm -hmm. that's being human that's being human at its very core. So to segue into uh, what I've been watching, mm-hmm. I, just as of last night, finally watched Mulholland Drive. Uh, I was very excited to watch it. I'm a massive David Lynch fan, but it's it's taken me a while to get around to watching everything in his catalog. I know you and I have... Some different opinion <laughs> on on David Lynch and mm-hmm. his art, right? Um, I think the only David Lynch movie that you and I really fully agree on is Elephant Man. <laughs> yes. Uh, but anyway, Mulholland Drive was was just fantastic. It was like the the pinnacle of David Lynch's vision uh, coming together. It was. Everything from Eraserhead and Blue Velvet, and I mean even some Twin Peaks in there, 
coming together to create this just beautiful, beautiful art. I, I did truly enjoy it. And you haven't seen it, so I'm not going to go into any spoilers. I just, you know, want to put out there that it's absolutely fantastic and easily my favorite Lynch movie thus far. Uh, I don't have, quite frankly, too many more to go, but uh, it is, it's going to be hard to beat. It's going to be very hard to beat. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm I'm certainly not uh, maybe as big a fan of of Lynch as you are, um, but also I I haven't I haven't deep dived too much into his in his uh, filmography. Obviously, I've seen uh, first season of Twin Peaks, and uh, I watched episode one of season two. Uh, I saw Elephant Man. I saw Eraserhead. And I'm not I'm not feeling great about it, but I'm still excited for the rest of it. I'm um, I think Mulholland Drive is going to be, uh, as you said before we started, either something I'm really going to love or really going to hate. Um, I think I, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Uh, it's it's certainly on my my priority my priority watch list of like of uh, Lynch anything really. And I think most people will agree that Mulholland Drive as a movie fan is a really important movie because it, it, it explores L.A. culture and Hollywood culture in in this very, you know, obviously surreal and David Lynch way, but in this darker and more uh, visceral way, too. I mean, we, we know and we, we see every every passing day really in hollywood some new piece of news comes out that uh ex- ex- just exposes how horrible the hollywood culture really is and i think that david lynch with this movie found a really surreal and dark moody way of showcasing that you know this this level of well things look happy you know thing it's this cosmetic right everything looks happy everything looks wonderful mm-hmm. but beneath the surface surface there's there's rot and there's this decrepit ruin caused by all of this this insane wealth and and power and influence i i think i can see a lot of that in twin peaks because i'm not um well twin peaks yeah i i would say that artificiality mm-hmm. um there, there's almost a, a a plastic nature to some of the veneer of Twin Peaks. You know, like it, it very much. Yeah, I would say there's there's this dark um, brooding hiding beneath the surface of this idealistic small town. It, I think it really stands out because um, if you've ever seen a soap opera, soap opera, you have all these very traditional characters like. Uh, James and Donna sort of f- fulfilling that romantic like subplot. You have Andy as sort of this this dumb like comic relief character, but like the show is is actually kind of terrifying sometimes just because of how uncomfortable it makes you. Um, whether it's uh, with how characters act or something they say, how they look, whatever it m- might be, it's like there's always just this level of uneasiness despite the fact that you, you think it's just like, Oh, this is just a a soap opera and I can just sit back and like 
laugh at how cheesy it is, but it really is uncomfortable. And yet, in the same way, it's also kind of hilarious sometimes because, like, I think David Lynch knows that some of these things in soap operas are, like, laughably kind of uh, goofy. And that's shown a lot with the uh, the soap opera in the show. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but... Yeah, it's 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 like a far too long. I don't remember either. <laughs> invitational love, invitational love. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and it's like you have this soap opera inside a soap opera. That's that's it's it's pretty meta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not I, obviously I'm not a, as big a fan of of Twin Peaks as you are, maybe. But I still I think there there is this charm to it. Um, it's a very charming show. It's it's yeah. It's, yeah absolutely wonderful sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah like anytime i can see dale cooper and um uh, hawk and freaking harry truman uh, that's you know i'll tune in that's that's all i want really but i think the rest of it certainly adds it's 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 interesting because you go in and you're like oh what happened to laura palmer and then you have just this huge lineup of characters that you're like you either love or you just feel really weird about, but like, I kind of like that. I kind of like having this huge cast of characters that I'm still like unweary of, because I don't really know what they're going to do next. I don't know if this is going to, how they're act and they're, they're all consistent, but like they're still unpredictable in a weird way. Well, and that, I mean, that kind of plays into that soap opera structure (laughs) where, where all of these characters are hiding motivations uh, beneath the their their own veneers, beneath their own fake smiles and uh, cherried words, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I think it works really well. It's it's really good as a uh, kind of almost ironic mystery. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I Twin Peaks is it's a good show. I, I enjoy it. I'd I'd say it's it was certainly hard to get into for me, and I'm not still like fully on board even a whole season through. But I think for for like a certain kind of person, it's it's top notch. Right. All right. Well, so then let's talk about uh, to to wrap things up here. Something that both of us watched together very recently. Uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands. This was my first Terrence Malick movie, and I believe yours as well, Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, I am certainly excited to see more from him. This was a, a very interesting debut. I, I'm glad that we started with his debut. I think it's going to be interesting to see that uh, the journey that his filmmaking takes. I, uh, I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll get that out of the way first. Um, I thought it was very uh, dreamlike, um, not in a surreal way. Um, but it, kind of in that almost uh, dreamlike quality that people think about America in, mm-hmm. um, it, it has this it has this like color of you know being both at the same time the real America and that idealized America. Mm-hmm. But you had again some different opinions <laughs> than me on it. I think yeah. we both we were both pretty close to the mark on this one, though. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can you can explain your views on it, then I can share mine. 
Well, one thing I did like, uh, as you mentioned, is this idealist American dream kind of exploration it goes through because it's it's literally a, a movie about like uh, a serial killer and and this girl that he he picks up and they just Bonnie and Clyde it through the U.S. Yep. and there's like yeah there's this shine of the American dream because it's like they're just doing whatever they want and yeah it's 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 kind of horrible but it's like it's almost like the American public is kind of enabling them to do that because it's just like entertaining it's it's this I'm not going to spoil anything obviously but it's it's just sort of uh, we've both seen it I I think that we can probably have a spoiler discussion right. okay uh, um if we do have any listeners here's a spoiler warning we'll try to put the timestamp in that you can skip to if you don't want to hear any spoilers um just about this like this entertainment and uh the american dream is at the end of the at the end of the film kit despite being a mass murderer uh he basically kidnapped um uh holly and yet he's caught by the police and they're all like wanting to take pictures with him and they all want his autograph and he's just like this he's like a hero but he hasn't done anything heroic so he's just like this celebrity whatever and yeah there's that whole uh dreamy oh i could do that i could be like kit i could run off with the girl i love and just just go through the american west and just enjoy myself but there is still that uh level of of realism and that this isn't something that's acceptable in society and like for for obvious reasons but yeah i like that part i like that part quite a bit but time i don't know uh i guess i just don't the structure feels a little off to me i feel like there's uh sort of this this journey yeah but i don't really know what the end goal is going to be obviously it's you know kit being captured and and holly whatever but i don't know i guess it just feels disjointed to me and um i don't know i i guess i would have liked it more if I liked the relationship of Holly and Kit more. And to be honest, I just don't think their chemistry really adds up all that much and makes it interesting enough to care too much about. Right. Yeah. Well, and so, so to that point, I, I don't necessarily see Holly as being kidnapped by Kit so much as being caught up in his gravity. Mm -hmm. I see Kit as being this kind of, uh, gravity well of a character. He kind of, everywhere he goes, everything gets sucked into him. Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of like this this black hole character with all these twee affectations. And um, he's mysterious. You know, we don't really know anything about him. He's uh, cool mm -hmm. at times. You know, he's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, America as a whole, and I mean, I'm sure many cultures, we, we have an obsession with uh, true crime characters, and uh, we have this almost worship for outlaws mm -hmm. that live on the fringe of society. And, and Kit is very much that. He is a, a fringe character. He doesn't fit into any kind of box that you could possibly put him in. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and so he he pulls Holly up into this gravity well that is himself, and that the journey kind of starts there, and it and it explodes through the U.S. Um, in this dreamlike quality, and I think that uh, Kit is a very he's a dreamer. You know, he's he's more than likely mentally ill, but he's a he's a dreamer at his core, and he likens himself to an outlaw and and that's what kind of carries his entire attitude and so i think that 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 worship that we have of outlaws is is what kind of carries this journey on and you know you talk about the chemistry between holly and kit well i think that they're holly is is young and naive and innocent mm-hmm. and Kit is is this you know cool gravity well of a character that just like draws her in and mm-hmm. pulls her into this almost almost Stockholm syndrome esque relationship. I would say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would say that on a certain level, she probably uh, does or did love him. Um, I mean, I, I feel like we should mention at this point that of course Badlands is based on a true story, but. Uh, Terry and Smalik took a lot of creative liberties. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the reality of the characters really was. Uh, we haven't really read up on the actual case that, uh, you know, kind of took the whole U.S. by storm in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was it the 60s? I don't, I don't remember. But uh, either way, I, I think there is a chemistry there, but I think that chemistry is twisted by this naivety and this innocence of just getting wrapped up in, in, in Kit's world. I think that the more time that Holly spends with Kit, I think she's almost like a, a blank slate. She gets deeper and deeper and deeper into this gravity well that is Kit and, and loses more of herself as she becomes almost this like extension of, of Kit. Yeah, I, um, that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say in in that um i think holly's youth plays a pretty big role in her her willingness to like join him um i think during like while i was watching i just kind of forgot about that and i i didn't quite like that that there was any there wasn't any chemistry at least in my mind but i think like thinking back on it it's uh it's very telling that like you said, her naivety is um, she's very young. Uh, he's very cool on like an exterior sense. He's he just kind of waltzes up to her and he doesn't really care. And that is appealing to someone that's young, um, someone that's sort of fed up with the suburban life, the going to school, coming home, going to school, whatever. And Kit is sort of that that outlier, that that person that yeah, he's an he's an outcast of society. He said he was on the fringe. Right. And that becomes very appealing to someone who is sort of sick of all that. So it it definitely makes sense why they're uh, like together and I think that also adds a lot to how they interact in the movie. And it's like, yeah, she might've loved him at some point, but 
they there's they're sort of annoyed of each other like they get they don't really want to be there they kind of just are like they've already done it this much they might as well keep going and um i think it's like the facade starts to crack with holly like even after kit murders her father it's like you know you think that'd be like a wake-up call and it and it kind of it kind of is she's like i'm not you know i'm not cool with this but i'm past the point of no return i might as well just keep going right yeah uh, yeah i don't know i uh i definitely liked it but even beyond the uh story which i found interesting i I'll be honest, I wasn't entirely impressed with the acting. I think Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek were both very good. Um, but I think all of the side characters and outline characters were um, pretty borderline. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I have to say, I, for a de- debut feature, I was just so impressed with the cinematography. Mm. Um, there are so many gorgeous shots in this movie. And I know that that is a trademark of Terrence Malick supposedly, but mm-hmm. there, there, there'll just be these moments where it intercuts these montages of the, the, the land and the, the space around Holly and Kit um, that are serene and, and striking. Mm-hmm. And they, they cut this interesting, like contrarian picture against the backdrop of Holly and Kit's journey. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, you know, there's obviously plenty of things you can find disturbing about their journey, but there's plenty that you can find beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was very impressed. Very impressed. I'm, I'm certainly excited um, because while I may not have loved this movie, I think I, I liked it enough that it's exciting. Um, this is only his debut, so it's like I have, I have more to look forward to. I'm sure he's uh, maybe refined some things that'll make me uh, like his direction more. Um, but yeah, the cinematography is is really like really beautiful in this movie. So you know, at least I have something to look forward to, regardless of uh, whether or not I like story or uh, characters. I suppose. Right, and I and I will agree with you that there are some meandering details uh there are some really odd choices i think mm-hmm. that we both laughed pretty hard when uh, <laughs> kit brought the toaster up from the basement after, <laughs> yes. after murdering holly's dad in cold blood <laughs> yes and just nonchalantly claims that he found a toaster i found mean it, toaster. It, yeah. it, it founds it, it goes into that whole like twee affectation that i feel like he has i mean i i kept saying during our viewing that uh Kit almost feels like a murderous Wes Anderson character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they go off and they go and live in the woods in a, in a tree house. <laughs> like and, straight, straight on Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, like that shot for shot, that whole section of the movie felt like Moonrise Kingdom. It was, it was absolutely bizarre. It's it, yeah. It's a little bit like if, if the characters from Moonrise Kingdom just decided to just start it, murdering it's like people. Characters from Moonrise Kingdom grew up and did a, a Bonnie and Clyde-esque murder spree. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have, I have my it issues with it, but on the level of being aware of the fact that it's a debut feature and mm. for how gorgeous 
the movie was shot. I think that the soundtrack was really good and suitable too. Um, I really enjoyed it. It, it was a, it was a nice adventure. Mm-hmm. Well, so anyway, I mean that that pretty much covers our basis for uh, our basis for what we've recently watched, what we've recently uh, partaken of. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we will for the next episode try to come up with a more uh, concrete topic. We'll try and watch something together that we can specifically talk about while it's mm-hmm. fresh in our minds. Yeah. I mean, we watched Badlands like two weeks ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Some of the, if if I'm watching a movie like, you know, at least twice a week, then there's a real solid chance that I'm going to be forgetting details. Right, right. Um, And I, like, at the beginning, I, I think I maybe barely talked about Naked, and I definitely want to talk about that uh, in a more in-depth uh, way, maybe in a future podcast. Um, Because I think, honestly, that's probably one of my favorite films now. Uh, at least in terms of like recency, but yeah, um, I think having having a film that we've just seen uh, day before recording or something like that is definitely the best time to get all of our immediate thoughts on paper. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Uh, and then with with much ado, uh, this is Synchronicity signing off. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining me, Kobe. Mm, of course. And with that, we'll bring the pilot episode to a close. Please look forward to more episodes in the future.